Life-Giving Church, how are you? Praise the Lord. It's good to be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, prospered by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Man, it's a privilege and an honor to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this day, in this hour. It doesn't matter what other people say. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Amen. So we welcome you. We want to welcome everybody who's joining us by live stream this morning. We trust that you're doing well where you are. We know that God has uh, powerful, tremendous things for you uh, individually, but corporately what he's doing within the church. Amen. We have uh, just a number of prayer cloths this morning. And so we want to take the time and, and really uh, extend our faith together. Uh, concerning these, you may say, well, what, what are those? Well, people have brought these, people who are unable to be here, or people uh, that church members know who are uh, ailing in their body or sickness or diseases attack their body. And according to Acts, the 19th chapter, it says handkerchiefs and aprons were, were brought or taken from the body of the Apostle Paul. And when they were brought to the sick and demon-possessed, the spirits left them and their bodies were made whole or bodies were healed. And so from that, we recognize that uh, it seems that the anointing can be trapped in or captured in cloth. And when it's taken, released uh, into people's bodies and bring a healing and a cure. We have many, many testimonies of people who have received uh, uh, these prayer cloths. And healing is taking place in their body and has taken place. Gentleman was playing hockey and, uh, uh, you know, took a puck to the eye. And uh, guys in the church got together, prayed with him, got a prayer cloth. And, uh, you know, at the men's conference, uh, I was honored to meet him. And I said, we prayed for you. We, he said, you prayed over a prayer cloth. I said, yes, we did. How are you doing? He pulls out his cloth. He said, my eye is still healing, but I have my, I have my prayer cloth with me right here. And uh, praise the Lord. And so uh, just many things, but we have uh, some different things, some uh, severe uh, uh, symptoms uh, because of uh, infusion treatments that are taking place right now, um, uh, infection. Um, from diabetes in a leg. Um, we also have uh, 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 suffering from cancer. Let's see, a growth they may think is lymphoma. They'll get the report back from the doctor. Amen. And so we just get to extend the love of God, faith in what Jesus Christ has done. The Bible says that by his stripes we were healed. Amen. The price has already been paid. I mean, the price has already been paid. So F.F. Bosworth said this, to know that, to recognize that. He said, uh, really, faith begins where the will of God is known. And so when we look at the scripture and we begin to, to understand the will of God concerning healing, some people have been brought up, well, it's kind of case, sera, sera. You might It might be God's will for you to be sick. It might be God's will for you to be healed. But Jesus went about. He was the express image of the Father. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the enemy. When people came to him and said, are you willing? If you're willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus said, I am willing. He expressed the willingness of God. So we know that it's God's will for healing. He sent Jesus to the cross and to lay over that whipping post to pay the price for our healing. So it says faith begins. Where you know that, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you haven't heard that, we just told you, you can put your faith in that as you extend that. And he said the power of God can only be claimed 
where the will of God is known. And so when we know it's God's will to bring healing, we can lay claim to that healing power of God. And as we do that as a church body, for these, for these, you say, well, I don't even know these people. This is where the love of God comes in and the unity of the body comes in. As we join our faith together, we lay claim to the power of God, not just for us, but for someone else so that they might know uh, and really experience a tangible presence of God through his anointing. And certainly you would know this, if you felt that tangible presence, you experience a difference in your body, you'd be experiencing something good, wouldn't you? If your body was ailing and all of a sudden a church prayed and you began to sense that your, those symptoms, the, the pain was changing, you'd think, man, this is a good thing. Things are changing. Well, that's the goodness of God being tangible and revealed. And it says that it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance or leads them to change their mind. And in changing their mind, they change direction in their life from where they were going towards God. So let's just join together as a church family. Pray for these uh, who are suffering in their body, uh, have symptoms or, or have been diagnosed in their body. And just depend, lay claim, not to something we could do, but what Jesus has already done by his sacrifice, by his blood, by his power. Father, we thank you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Father, we pray over these prayer cloths just as in Acts the 19th chapter. We believe that your anointing is powerful. We believe that it can be captured in cloth. We also believe that as we pray, that anointing, your will transcends distance and begins to move even now for those who are ailing in their bodies. We thank you for healing their bodies. We thank you that by Jesus' stripes we were healed. And if we were healed, then we are healed. And we thank you right now that as these cloths are saturated with the prayers of the saints praying and the anointing of God, we thank you, Father, that when they're brought to those who are sick, I thank you that when these cloths come in contact with their bodies, the anointing leaves these cloths, goes into their bodies, begins to search out the very source of pain, of sickness, of disease, and begins to create and transform their bodies. Makes a change, divine healing taking place, and restoration of their bodies. We curse cancer in the name of Jesus, and we command it to be dispelled, broken down, to leave their body, and every cell to be made right, and to be made filled with life, and health, and strength for their mortal bodies. We thank you. We pray on the basis of the blood of Jesus. Father, we pray for every single person in this room. If there are those who are ailing, they have uh, uh, problems, uh, symptoms in their body right now, we know that your power is present to heal. So we lay claim in the name of Jesus to that which you have done for us. Not that which you are going to do somewhere down the road, but what you have done from times past that brings to pass right now. That blood that you shed and that you sprinkled upon the mercy seat has never, ever, ever, ever lost its power to save, to heal, to deliver, to set free, to make whole and to prosper. So we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for healing everybody. We thank you for restoring every mind. 
Father, we thank you for those who are bound in habits that you desire for them to be free. I thank you there's power to release them and break yokes of bondage over their life, that they might go free and serve you with all of their heart, to know your goodness, to know a relationship with you unhindered by sin, unhindered by habits, unhindered by addiction that continually pulls them into a place of destruction. But now that bond has been broken, and they live in relationship to fulfill the fullness of what you've brought them into this earth to do. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit here right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you to encounter every person while they are here. In some way, they have an encounter with you that will change their life forever. They may know you, but you begin to deal with them in directions of their life and places to go and giftings and callings that will never leave them. Today, they'll take away something of change, something of the anointing of God, something of the revelation of the Spirit of God that will help them, encourage them. But also because of that, they will begin to share with others from that place of anointing and revelation that will begin to bring somebody to the knowledge of Jesus Christ that did not know you. Thank you for souls saved into the kingdom of God, not only in this place, but because we are gathered together today. We give you all the glory and the honor. We give you the praise and the thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished in every heart and life by your word and by your spirit this morning. We do thank you for it in Jesus' mighty, matchless, and majestic name we pray. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, look at somebody next to you and say, the life of God dwells in me. The life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance. And in every place, and your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated once again. Good morning. We're glad that you are here. I believe that God has something that he is speaking to us as a church. I believe that it's going on in more places than just this. Um, If we begin to think about uh, things that have been spoken in times past and you know, how we relate to those and, and, and really uh, put our faith in those or whatever goes on uh, may be different for different people at different times. But over again and again, uh, it's been spoken out uh, by prophets and, and people who have uh, really just uh, encountered in prayer that there is coming and, and now is upon us a, a, an awakening, a revival uh, for this generation in this time. But in times past, they've said that there will be a last day's revival, a last day's awakening that will take place. And certainly we've seen revivals. We've seen tent meeting revivals. We've seen uh, the teaching revival of the uh, late 70s and early 80s where you would go. There was such an, uh, uh, an awakening. People would stand in line. How many of you have, have stood in line like for hours to get into a teaching, right? Not very many. So see, it's a time past. But we used to go to meetings in the 80s at arenas, big arenas, and we would stand in line so hungry for the Word of God, like people going to a concert. Some of you young people go, dear God. Well, the way you understand it, you go to a concert, stand in line, just people, Christians, standing in line to go into an auditorium to hear the Word of God preached. Just hungry for the Word of God. It was a revival. 
Uh, and so we've seen those things. But it's been said that the, you know, the last day's revival will be God moving in strong local churches full of the word and know how to flow with the spirit. Strong local churches. And God's design is really in the end, and it has been from the beginning, that there be strong local churches, his church. And so we're spending a little bit of time talking about we are the body. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, says that the church is his body. To bring an understanding, because the enemy, it, you know, you just have to think about it a little bit if we understand the dynamics that work, that if God's going to do something amazing like has never been done before through strong local churches, the enemy's not going to sit back and say, well, we'll just let that happen. So there's been an onslaught upon the church. The view of the church, how people view the church, even within the church, uh, as people come in, how we view the church. We can get casual about what the church looks like. We can get personal about what the church looks like. But we want to look and see what God thinks about the church because it's so vitally important. And so uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, from the Message Bible, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything, and at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body, in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. So the world says, you know what, the church can be off. We, you know, we just seen it in the last couple of years that the church is really not essential. It's peripheral to everything we're doing. But God's view is not that the church is peripheral and non-essential, but that the church is very essential. The world is less essential than the church. Why? Because the things that are going on in the world are temporary. No matter what you thought the magnitude was in 2020, that was still temporary. It's not the same anymore. But the kingdom of God is ever growing. It's eternal in its purpose. So the world thinks what we're doing right now is so important, but it's temporary. It'll come to pass. There'll be somebody different in charge. But the kingdom of God, Jesus is the head, and there's an eternal purpose in the church, not a temporal purpose, an eternal purpose in the church. He's doing something big. And so the world may just say, you know, the church isn't that much. It's not very powerful. It's weak. It's irrelevant. We looked at this last week. It's, you know, uh, it's just really not up to date. But Jesus, when he looks at the church, his church is eternally valuable, right? It's just eternally valuable. Come on. To him, it's precious, infinitely precious. It's immeasurably glorious, he has a view of the church. Jesus looks at you, looks at this gathering together, and he loves it. Jesus loves the church. 
Come on, we have to start getting the view of the church. So we, we began to look last week, just really quickly, last week we began to look and see Jesus. If we're going to get a view that Jesus has of the church, right, what did he say? He only mentioned the church twice in the four gospels Jesus did. First in Matthew chapter 16, where he asked people, you know, what were people saying about him? He says, out there in the world, what do, what do people recognize about me? What are people saying? And they had all kinds of things that they were saying. Then he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? It's very important. We, the world may be something, saying something about the church, but it's very important that you, that us, the church, we actually know who the church is, who we are, not just individually, but who we are as the church. The world might say one thing, but what do we say? Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And he said, who do you say that I am? Peter piped up and he said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And, you, and now I'll call you, you were Simon, I'll call you Peter. And upon this rock, this revelation, this reality that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church on that reality, right? My church. So what's he referring to? He uses the church. He's referring to every believer, every person who gets that reality in their heart that he's the Christ, the son of the living God, and says, I want you to be the Lord of my life. He says, I'm going to build my church on that revelation. And that will be every believer from every age and every place. We call that the universal church. And that universal church, we see in, in Revelation, there's going to be a gathering together, which gathering together, the church is a gathering, a calling out. There's going to be a great church service in heaven. We looked at that in Revelation. There's going to be a glorious time, and we look forward to that because there's an eternal purpose. And in that place, we're all going to gather together from every tribe, from every people, from every time, from every nation, from every place, the extraordinary aspect of God that everyone who put their trust in Jesus, everyone who had that revelation that, of the reality of who Jesus Christ was, will be all brought together into this great gathering, this great congregation of the saints where the Lamb will be and God will be on the throne and we'll all gather together in reality of time and space will all come together for eternity in that great gathering. And we'll see this eternal purpose in the presence of the Father God and the Lamb that was slain for us. So that's one, that's the universal church. And then in Matthew chapter 18, he says, listen, uh, if you're having a dispute with a person, he says, you go to them personally. You don't go tell everybody and, and, and talk to everybody, you go to them. And when you, and the whole goal is to win the brethren. And if they don't listen to you about that, then you get the, uh, a couple of people from, uh, that you know are trustworthy, and, and you talk to them about that. And then if, if they don't listen, then you bring them to the church. Right? And the whole goal is to bring and win a brother. Not excommunicate, but to win a brother. And here he talks about the church, and he, he talks about the local church, the local gathering of believers together. And when Jesus is looking at that, we saw this last week, when he's looking at that local gathering of believers, he's making a reference clear back even to the times of Moses when God brought them out of sin, brought them out of Egypt, and he said, now gather them to me. 
And that word gather, kahal in the Hebrew, in the Greek is ecclesia. So even then, Jesus is saying God had his people. It was a gathering together. It was the ecclesia. It was the church. And he says, I want them to be gathered together for what purpose? To worship me. What did that worship include? That worship meant acknowledging him. That worship, he says, so that they can hear my word. Right? We gather together to hear his word. We learn to reverence him. Come on, a lot of people want to, we, we need a move of God here. But if you don't even reverence God's word, when it's being spoken, if you don't reverence when people are worshiping God, there's just a lot of movement, and we think of it in the wrong way. We don't reverence God. But once we start reverencing God, that he is who he said he is, that he can do everything he said he can do, and that, that he'll cause us to be everything that he called us to be by his mighty power and by his grace, and there's an awe of that. There's a reverence of that, who he is and what he's done and what he's doing in us. God begins to move, and he says, I want them to hear my word. I want them to reverence me. I want them to learn to live by the authority of my word every single day, and I want them to teach their children the same. So he said there's a local gathering together of believers for what purpose? So that we come together to worship him in that way. We come together to worship, and then we're sent out to serve. We're sent out to serve, right? And so this, this gathering of believers, local church bodies, we begin to fragment because, you know, well, we can just do whatever we want. We can go where we want, do what we want. But Jesus looks at his church and how that comes together. In fact, in the uh, New Testament, really, the evangelism that took place in the New Testament was really all about the church, not just converts, but making disciples. Paul would go and preach the word. And when, once he would get a number of converts together, he would come back and establish pastors, leaders within, and, and establish a local church so that they could learn uh, the word of God, they could reverence him, they could learn to live by the authority of his word. That's why we have the epistles to the local churches. And once they learned that, they were sent out to serve, right? So even evangelism wasn't just to make converts, it was to win people, but then to bring them into a local church to gather together. There's such power in that gathering together. Even today when we think, you know what, I'll have a ministry. People don't really like to come to church. I'll have a ministry outside. You know, I've, I've been doing this long enough, about 40 years, to know that everybody who wants to do that because they say people won't come to church, they still need the church to support them ministering outside the church. They always call upon the church. Because the church is more important than the world will give it credit for. The church, in Jesus' eyes, again, are, is, is just so infinitely valuable, eternally, uh, you know, precious, uh, immeasurably glorious. God, Jesus looks at the church, and he's not going, oh, man, uh, what is going on? He's, he's saying, I hope you all understand who you are and what I'm doing in my church right now. And so even when we read the scripture, uh, you know, it begins, Paul says in, in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, the church has been a mystery. Anybody think the church could be a little mystery? Listen, he likens the church and marriage to the same mystery. Why? Because it's a mystery how you bring people from different backgrounds, 
ethnic, social, economic, how you bring people from all these backgrounds and fit them together in one functioning, working, able, prosperous, uh, equipped body, right? A marriage, how do you bring two genders, two giftings, two people so different and make them one? He said it's a great mystery that takes place. But I'm speaking about Christ and his church. And so since it's a mystery, all through the scripture, he gives us pictures or analogies of the church, right? He says, you're my bride and I'm the bridegroom. You're the building, and I'm the master builder and the chief cornerstone of the building, right? He starts to create pictures so that we understand we are the body, and he's the head. We're going to talk about that today. But again, many times, uh, pictures have been drawn for us or analogies have been brought to us that are distortions of what the true church is. Right, distortions. So to get to the right picture, we want to first of all be aware of the distortions. A gentleman named Tom Nelson, uh, he wrote a book, Ecclesia, uh, and talks about the church. But let me see, I, I want to get these four things right here. But he, he brought forth four things uh, that when we look at them, and, and if you think about them, they're, they're pictures, they're analogies of the church today that are distortions of actually what the church is. So the first thing he, he said about this, he, he said, uh, really, the church, anymore, the church has been seen as a gas station. Church has been seen as a gas station. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, I've gotten a little bit spiritually empty, and so I need to go get filled up. I, you know, I, I need to go, or I need to go hear something. I need to go find somebody that will just fill me up a little bit because I'm growing low and empty. The next picture of the church is that it's a movie theater, right? It's a movie theater. This is the place where I come to escape everything in life, sit down, hope to get a little entertainment, hope to feel a little better when I leave than when I came, right? Just like a movie theater. Can I just get a little bit of, uh, uh, can you tickle me, my, my feathers a little bit? Can you tickle my fancy so I feel a little bit better when I leave than when I came? Right, the next one, uh, uh, he says, the church has become like a drugstore. I need somewhere to go to find just some relief for my pain. Just can I go somewhere where, where I can just get an anecdote or I can get something that will help me with my struggle right now, if I could just get that. The, the fourth uh, uh, picture that he has of the church, the modern church, is really a big box store. Where can I go where everybody's happy and there's good service and I can get whatever I need, Right? Where's the church that's going to have just the right worship, just the right thing for my children, just the right thing for my youth, just the right thing for me, uh, all in one stop shopping where I'm well taken care of, there's good service, that would be the church I would want to go to, and that would be awesome because it would take care of all my needs in one stop. Right? And so we begin to look at this, and what is it? It's a consumer-type mentality. The one thing we see in all of these pictures of the church that we look at is it's all about me. 
How do I get filled up? Where do I go to feel better about myself? Right? Where do I go for my pain? And where can I get all the programs that I need in every area of my life? And so it's all about me. And so there's a distortion here that if we don't really look at and understand it, there's reasons for these pictures, there's reason for these desires, but is it what the Bible says? I, I challenge us today to think about, can you find any one of these pictures about the church in the Bible? I don't think you can. Which means the enemy has come in to create a distortion to us to get us into a self, selfish mindset about the church so that we don't have the proper picture of who it is. But if we get the proper picture of who we are, the church, and it's not just about us, but it's about him and about what he's gathering us together and how we worship him and reverence him, and now we can be sent out to do something significant and be who God called us to be, not only individually but together, instead of just saying, what about me? What about mine? But there's something that he's already done with me that creates a, a, a dynamic that really begins to change things. So again, when we look at these things, you may say, well, wait a minute. But when we talk about serving in the church, there's a dynamic that goes on. Certainly people want to go to a place where the, the worship is great. But most of the time when we're enjoying worship and the worship is great, or as we said today, a little sound difficulty, oh, I don't know, that, those feedback and that stuff, oh, that's just so hard to worship at that time. Well, whether you realize it or not, there is a number of people serving for you to have that good worship. <laughs> Man, I just want to go somewhere that's really on, on target for my kids. Well, uh, it takes a lot of people yeah. to serve to have something on target for your kids. I just want something that's really relevant for my youth. Well, it takes a lot of people to serve to have that. So to even have dynamics that reach people with these things, it takes the first mentality of who are we, how do we worship, and how do we, we serve? And so instead of looking at these pictures that we have, God gave us pictures, and one of those is the picture of the body. So turn with me uh, just back a couple of verses. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in, in verse 18. Just share a couple of things this morning. Again, my, my desire is that really, you know, that we begin to get the picture that Jesus has of his church, and then we begin to see, you know what, the greatest privilege in our life is to be a member of his body. The greatest privilege of our life is to be a member of his body. Come on. We'll have, to, we'll have a few Sundays to keep working on that. In verse 18, Paul's praying for the church here. He says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That would be you. Y'all are saints. 
greater understanding. If you want to understand that better, I think we have it in the bookstore. Get Addison Bevere's uh, book on the saints. Um, it's, it's an awesome book that lets us know about that. He says, what is, listen to this, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Say, us who believe. Us who believe. Say it again, us who believe. Us who believe. Now say it like you believe it, us who believe. All right, so he says his mighty power that he released or the greatness of his power towards us. It's towards you. All of God's power is moving towards you if you're a believer. All of his power. He says, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. Wow. He starts talking about God's power. God's incomparable power. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Incomparable power. The same power that raised Christ up far above all other power, all other authority. His is incomparable. He's raised above all of that. Why? Why did Jesus die? Why did God raise him from the dead? Why did God seat him at his right hand in this place of incomparable power? Why? To put all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He did all that for you. The church. His body. God sent him. He died. But he raised him from the dead by his incomparable power. He raised him above all principality, all other power, and seated him. And he made him to be the head of us, his body. Why? Why did he get way up there above all principality and power? Because he has something for his body to do that will be above all other powers, all other things that the enemy would do. He has something for his church to do. To display his incomparable power. And so he says here, he says, he's the head and we are the body. Now that's a picture. Get that in your thinking. Not a big box store. Not a drug store. Not a theater. Not where I can just get relief of pain. Not just where I can get, get some uh, 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 relief from the world and today. Right? Not where it's all what I need in one stop shop. Just get a picture. He's the head. You're the body. You're the body. That's the picture the Bible begins to give us, right? He gives us another picture. You know, we're the bride of Christ. And so we get that picture. Wow, we're, we're in love with him. We're the family of God. We, we do that. So he gives us all these pictures. We're the building. We're the habitation of God. Those are our pictures that we want. But we're looking at this picture of the body. He's the head. We're the body. Paul uses this in a number of places, and we're going we're to look at this one primarily because he makes a significant point here that I, be, begin that I believe that we begin to start with. If we start with this and we begin to see other things that he said, here he says, he's the head, we're the body. 
Later in Ephesians, he says, listen, I have, as the head of the body, appointed leaders to equip the saints to, I'm paraphrase here, but to serve one another in love so that the body, the church, can be strengthened and learn how it edifies itself, builds itself up through love. Not tears itself down, not gets offended by one another, but builds itself up. As we hear the word, as we reverence him, what he's doing in everyone else's life, as we recognize that, as we live in authority to his word, we learn to serve one another and build each other up. Then he goes to Corinthians and says, once we are doing that, we start to build the church up and we recognize as we're maturing that we all are members in particular of one body. See, if we're immature, we haven't grown to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. We're not recognizing or respecting your gift or your gift. So we're struggling because we don't have the right picture of what's going on here with Christ at the head. So he starts with this understanding, Christ is the head, we are the body. What does the body do when it's receiving from the head? It begins to nurture, serve itself, build itself up. But in that, we start to realize there's different parts of the body. And we can't say we don't need you because we're all together. And once we start to recognize and respect that, we see what he says in Romans, that each one is anointed and graced, not just serving in the body, but graced to serve outside the body. So there's a picture of the church, the local church, that's not fragmented, but a progression that if we understand it. Now, you may go to different letters and go, well, I don't see it that way. But just stay with me for that purpose today and as we go through this series to see, listen, if we understand this today, and then we see, wow, this is something extraordinary that we are a part of, that we are, actually we are, as we saw last week, the, the local church is not a part, but as you look at the crescent moon, it's all moon invisibly attached to the rest. We are church. We are the church invisibly attached to the fullness of the church. So instead of just saying, well, I don't want to do that, man, this is something extraordinary. This is something e eternal. This is something that has purpose beyond what happened to me today. God's doing something today in my interaction with these people who come from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of wounds, all kinds of hurts, all kinds of mistakes, all kinds of places. And somehow God brought us together, and we can fit together. We can love each other. We can encourage one another so that wherever we go, we're looking at people differently. See, we start to look at the way the world does, and we come in here, and we start to mark each other and, and, and pull ourselves apart from each other. But if we look around and say, listen, I can do If God calls me to work with you, then I'm graced to do that. I'll figure that out. And we'll figure that out in love. Now, when we start to figure that out, instead of get offended and, and our feathers ruffled, then all of a sudden the guy that we work with that we don't like at work, we see him differently and we see us differently because God's equipped us right here in church to do something we didn't like to do with someone we, didn't, we weren't sure we were going to like to do it, but God graced us and we found out it worked out. 
and God's doing something in this relationship, and now we look and go, well, if he could do it here, he might be able to do it. And it starts to move us out to serve. It's got an eternal purpose, but if we look at the church like the world looks at the church, there's division, there's offense, there's reason to be upset. It's not going my way, and nobody's recognizing my gift. But no, when we start to look at it like Jesus does, we recognize he's not finished yet. Don't give up because somebody didn't notice yesterday. Don't give up because you didn't get the position you wanted today. God's working, and he's faithful to finish what he started if we don't bail on him. All right, y'all with me? So it's extraordinary how he talks about this, and he says, I'm the head, you're the body. In other words, the head lives out its purpose through the body. The head comes up with what to do, and through the central nervous system, sends out signals to the body. So if I want to shake Alan's hand, my head says, hey, greet Alan, shake his hand. There's signals the head wants to get to know Alan, but he won't, the head won't get to know Alan without the body. So it sends signals to my feet, walk over there. Now shake his hand. So it starts to work. I have to lift up my arm, and I have to reach out and shake his hand. That is something that the head wanted to do, but it had to do it through the body. So Jesus is saying, I'm the head, and there's a lot that I want to do in this generation, but I'm going to have to do it through my body. But if my body sees itself as a gas station or a movie theater or a big box, I'm going to have trouble getting done what I want to get done because there's something happening in the signals in the central nervous system that's broken down. But if I can get my church to realize they're my body and I'm the head, there's extraordinary things I want to do. And it starts moving. And just think about it. If, if I went to do this and all of a sudden my hand said, we are just moving over right now because we don't want to shake his hand. I mean, there would be some weird feelings going on right there, right? If your hand immediately rebelled against your head and said, nope, and it just jumped off and fell on the floor, and you just extended your arm without your head or without your hand, it would just be a weird thing, wouldn't it? But when we start to see what he's doing in the local church, and how we're interconnected. And it comes from the head, but it also moves through every part working together. It moved through, and my arm had to lift, and my, my shoulder had to move to extend, my elbow to extend my hand towards him, and my hand actually come in contact and start to move my hands to shake and to grip. There's all kinds of things going on from the head through the members of the body. And when there's a disconnect because of the body, things don't happen. But why would there be a disconnect? We don't see ourselves interconnected and receiving from the head that way. So if the last great revival is going to come through the body, that's what the head wants, but the body's just coming to be entertained, getting what it needs, some relief, 
It's an inward coming instead of an outward going. So he says, the body comes in and it gets nourished and it gets to place to revere me and understand I'm doing something awesome and learns to live according to the authority of my word and, and learns to interact together to build the body. Now the body's ready. The signals are firing the central nervous system so I can begin to reach out. All right, real quick, five things about this that we want to understand. Five things, all right? You ready? We'll have to move through this pretty quickly. Let me find out where it is. Running out of names. All right, first of all, no brainer here. First thing, Christ is the head of his body. Christ is the head of his body. Not because we made him the head. Because he is the head. Right? To understand this, we draw life from the head we are useless without the head. We can't do our eternal purpose without the head. Our power comes from the head, right? So we're called to be responsive to the head. Jesus. Come on, we can't do anything. Jesus said this to his church. He said, I'm the vine. He used another analogy. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't do anything without me. And all the analogies of the church always point to him. We're the bride, he's the bridegroom. We're the building, he's the master builder. Right? We're the body, he's the head. He's the vine, we're the branches. There is no Christless church. It always comes back to him. He's the head. Number two, every believer or every member of the body must be connected to the head. Or we could say it like this, they must be connected through the head. He's placed every member in the body just as he pleased. Right? So he's put... You're not here by accident. Now, again, your mindset, how you viewed it, you might say, well, I chose to come. I can choose if I, not to come if I want to. You can. But most of you aren't here by accident. God called you here. He placed you here. He wants you here. He's doing something with you and in you and through you here. He's building his body to do something extraordinary. To reach out. Got to be connected. So, you know, we were, in, we were walking through uh, uh, some canyons and uh, down uh, by arches, and we were just making this reference. We were going in this really uh, thin between these two rocks and called remembrance to 127 hours. Anybody seen that movie, 127 hours? Where Aaron Ralston, an outdoors guy from uh, Indiana, went to Utah. He was running around out there by himself and was down in a tight canyon and a boulder fell and trapped his, his right arm in that canyon. And for 127 hours, he tried to figure out how he was going to get out of there alive. And so the end result was that he took a dull pocket knife and amputated his own arm was the only way that he was going to live. And his body's still alive and goes around and talks, but I'll bet you there's not a day that he wouldn't be happy 
if his right arm was attached. His body may be alive, but he's missing a vital part of his body. Are you detached from a local church body? Because the functioning of the detached part died off. It's no longer functioning. The body may still function, but we must be attached to the body through what the head has called us to do. It's very important. Number three. Every member must be responsive to the head. Every member must be responsive to the head. There's things that go on in our body. Mark chapter 3. You'll remember there's a, a story of Jesus went uh, into the synagogue. It was a Sabbath day. He saw a man with a withered hand. What was going on? That His hand was there. It was part of his body, but it wasn't receiving the signals from the head. It wasn't being responsive to the head. And so Jesus called that man to him, and he said to him, he said, stretch forth your hand. The one thing he could not do Jesus called upon him to do, but a miracle took place that all of a sudden he became, his hand became responsive to the signals from the head and he stretched forth and his hand became 100% whole. Have you been in the body? There's something for you to do, but you've been unresponsive to the body. You've been unresponsive to the call of God, to what he wants you to do in serving and building the body. Have you been unresponsive to that? Because really he says, I am the head and you are the body and I'm looking to fulfill my purpose through my body. And the individual members of the body need to be attached and they need to be responsive to the head. Number four, we begin to realize this and understand as we look through the scriptures that every member of the body will suffer. That was a good one. Drive safe. We'll see you tomorrow. See, we've gotten into this mindset of the world. And again, the Bible says don't be conformed to the world. And it's so subtle, those pictures of the church, of a movie theater, of a a big box, of a a gas station, of a drugstore. Really, that's the way the world, our culture, is very consumeristic, consumerism. And all of a sudden, if an attitude creeps into the church, we see that. And also, we thought, you know what? When I come into the church and I'm part of the body, everything should be comfortable and everything should be easy. Well, it won't be. If you're going to be a member of the body, you're going to suffer some things. Jesus suffered some things. Jesus said, actually, if, if, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So out there in the world, everybody's not going to look favorably. And at the same time, there's just going to be some moving within the body and learning that you're going to have to put your flesh under and become obedient to God. And there's a little bit of suffering in that. And in Hebrews chapter 5, it says that Jesus himself, being the Son of God, learn obedience through things that he suffered. So what's that saying? Jesus was perfect. He was never disobedient. But he learned the importance of obedience to the will of God through suffering. He did things, but on the other end of that, his obedience showed out the end result of what God had. But he had to go through suffering with obedience in order to see the end of it. 
And so many people just want it to be easy, but they're not seeing the end of it, which brings us to the fifth thing. Every member will and is ordained to see the glory of God. So Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 18. He said, this present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed. It's like, you know what? I need to get out of this. This is just too uncomfortable. Just stay with it. Because God's doing something. And as you stay there, God's going to reveal something. And he's going to bring forth the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Something of the splendor of the presence of the glory of God is seen on the other end of difficulty. We stay with him through difficulty. We stay with him through difficulty of relationship, fitting together, every joint supplying through that connection. We stick with him as he gives us signals, and we know in our heart, God's telling me to do something. God wants me to help somebody, but I'm not comfortable with that. We go ahead and we suffer, put our flesh down, and something that God is doing will bring splendor and glory to it. Because he's working He is the head, we are the body. So we said we're going to move on and see how the understanding of this, we build one another up, we we serve one another first and build one another up. But then we realize, wow, we all have a different part in this service. We all have a different place where we, we don't look at each other. We look at each other with respect of what God is doing in you and what God's ready to do through you and equipping and supplying. And the body's growing and the body resources are growing. And now we're seeing we have graces upon our life, anointing that when we go to work and we go to the neighborhood, there's graces, there's special gifts upon our life that reach out to others. But if we don't see and understand the magnitude of him being the head and us the body, then when he starts to signal, you need to work together with that person in the body. You need to go edify that person in the body. We need to mature in love in the body. You'll go, no, not me. When you realize, wait a minute, this isn't me. It's not about me. It's what the head's telling me, a member of the body, to do to strengthen the body so that the body can move outside itself and serve. Why don't you stand up with me? Did you get anything out of that? Come on, Jesus came to the earth. He lived. He died. He raised from the dead. All by the incomparable power of God for his body. He lived for his body. He died for you, his body. He raised above all authority and power for you, his body. For what reason? So wherever you go and I go, whatever he calls us to do, he can fill that place with his own presence, his body. Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to minister to every heart and every life. If we have viewed your church wrongly, we've had the wrong picture, God, forgive us. Help us. Help us to go to your word and see what you have said about the church, your body. 
that we might value it as you value it. Instead of just thinking it's a means to the end for us, we begin to see such great value that it is an end to itself. It is what you designed, it's what you purposed, and it has an eternal purpose. Minister to every heart in life that we might be drawn back in, we might find what we draw in the life of the body, but from the perspective of the head in the body. Create for us the proper picture, the proper analogy that we might see it as you do, value it as you do. Receive from you that which we need to receive from you. That we, your church, truly might do all that you've called us to do. That we might be a vital, active, working part in the great last day's harvest of souls into the kingdom of God. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.